Welcome in to another edition of Divorce Force Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm very excited to introduce this next guest. She is holds the position of general manager of the Reno Aces, which is the AAA affiliate for the Arizona Diamondbacks. And she is the first woman to hold the title in nearly 20 years. And she is also the host of her own podcast, Leadership is Female Podcast, Emily Jansen. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm great, Adam. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the pod. And just, you know, being a female in the sports industry, just talk about, you know, what you've been able to accomplish and talk about some of the challenges that you've been able to overcome, you know, throughout your career. Sure. So um, my my intro into sports goes way back. I think <laughs> a lot of people who work in sports, I was a an athlete growing up, I played just about everything. And so I was really curious about what it would like, wh- what it would look like to work in the industry of um, something that I just loved to do. So um, I thought that would be through medicine, through physical therapy. So I went to the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, um, with the, the intention of becoming a physical therapist and soon learned that my uh, expertise lied in marketing and sales and not in, in medicine. So quickly made the pivot to advertising and was able to secure an internship with the Chicago Bulls in the, the NBA. And what that experience really gave me was my foundation, the foundation of any successful sports organization is, is their ticket sales, is their fans. You have to have people engaged in the brand and inside your stadium. So that's where it all began. Um, and then it was somewhat of a nonlinear path to uh, eventually hold, hold the title of general manager for the AAA Reno Aces and, and the first female to hold the GM title in nearly 20 years when I took the job in 2018. Yeah, I love that. And and talk about your that experience in ticket sales. Obviously, a lot of folks get into ticket sales as their first opportunity. Do you think that was a, a must-have and very instrumental in having, you know, that continued success within the sports industry? For me, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, did I love ticket sales? No, I didn't. <laughs> I did not love selling season tickets. Um, I had a really great time selling groups. It's not dissimilar to planning a really fun party. And that was easier for me to articulate to the clients than it was the investment in season tickets at the time. I now understand what season tickets can do and for a business and help a business grow and foster deeper relationships with their clients, which leads to uh, more revenue for the company. I mean, there's there's all sorts of benefits. But at the time I was 21 and it was really tough making 80 plus calls a day, uh, dialing for dollars is what we called it. But I'll give a huge shout out to the Bulls. I think at the time they were one of the best in the industry. We had three weeks of sales training before we ever picked up a phone. And wow. <laughs> that is not... That's not standard um, in in a lot of the the organizations that you could work for. Yeah, that's awesome. And and talk about you know that that week of those couple weeks, those three weeks of training, and what was that like? And then talk about you know those uh, first couple months and and that sales role. 
Yeah, going in the way back machine. Uh, <laughs> talk about the training, um, but we we worked with uh, Bill Gertin and the 600-pound or 800-pound gorilla was the name of his company at the time. And it was a lot of lot of role playing, a um, lot of uh, product knowledge, a um, lot of um, understanding how to handle objections. We had scripts. I think scripts are great if you have prepared yourself to use the scripted answer. It's not great to just search the paper and then read what it says. Like you've got to be prepared, but the script helps keep you on task and, and not tripping over yourself. So it was it was a lot of, uh, of role play, product knowledge, and um, understanding how to ask for a referral. Um, referrals to this day are still a tr- huge part of, of my life and my work. And having that foundation of requesting, hey, you know, you've had a great experience with this product. Who else would you like to see enjoy it just as much as you do? Or who do you want sitting next to you? Or who else do you want to run into on the concourse at the game? Um, asking those questions uh, is is the key to success. Yeah, for sure. And for those individuals who may not have that sales experience yet, from your experience, what do you see the biggest differences between sports sales versus, you know, uh, corporate sales or, you know, uh, B2B sales in a, in a company? Um, I don't I don't think that there's a lot in the technique. I think the mm-hmm. technique is pretty uh, it's pretty applicable. However, with sports, you're selling an idea, you're selling an experience, you're selling a feeling that someone is going to have when they are a part of something bigger than themselves. When you're working maybe in um, corporate sales where you're selling a product, the, per- the, the buyer is getting something tangible in their hands. Certainly it has a set of expectations, but um, you're not physically taking something or selling something, you're selling this idea. So that is the one, the one difference, but sports gives us a lot of ammunition to support that sale. When we can talk about the wins, we can talk about if your team's not great, you could talk about the memories that were made or the special opportunities that are available uh, for, for your buyers. And, um, and it's pretty special. You got to believe in it. Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that. There's, uh, they say sports is the greatest unifier, even when there's no fans in the stands. Totally. <laughs> and I think we're really missing it in this moment in time. Can't, we all can't wait to be back. Yeah, for sure. Um, so talk about your nonlinear path, um, you know, to your current role now. I mean, obviously, many careers, you know, a lot of times, whether students are graduating, they might have this one mindset where they want to do this particular role. They might see themselves uh, working for this one particular team or having this one particular job. Uh, However, how did you make sure that no matter what role you had or what organization you were at, uh, you made sure you were successful and that used that as a jumping off point to your next role? Yeah, one thing always leads to another, whether you know it at the time or not. Um, you've got to trust in yourself and you've got to do great, great work. Um, you've got to let that hard work speak for itself. I, I often say, be so good, they won't forget you. And that's <laughs> really how I came to this, this role today. So 
leaving the Bulls, um, I worked for a major nonprofit in Chicago doing event planning and corporate partnerships. Um, when I left there, I had my own marketing agency for a while, um, doing SEO, SEM, editing highlight videos. Uh, some of it centered around sports as I was making some highlight videos for high school kids so they'd get recruited. Um, and then I uh, went back to the nonprofit sector. And then from there, I landed my first first job with the ACEs. And there's definitely a lesson in that. So by the, the time I got the chance to take a job with the ACEs, I had been eight years out of college and I had <laughs> a lot of experience in sales and partnerships and events that were absolutely applicable to the role I would be doing in corporate partnerships. The only role that was available was an account executive in corporate partnerships. And typically your, you know, two to three years experience, you might have an opportunity to earn that role. I had eight and I had to make a decision at that point in time. Do I take a step back in my career it, title wise and pay, frankly, um, to take a step forward in the future? I had a, I, I signed my, my acceptance letter with them to, to take the job, knowing that this would be step one and that I was going to earn the role that I thought I deserved. And that role was vice president. And I had that role two years later. And the reason that I got it is because my work spoke for itself. I had the results that the team was looking for. I was focusing on the things that they were asking me to focus on and helping to elevate the business. So the reason I share that story is because you don't often get the perfect job offer <laughs> and you just got to make it. You got to make it once you decide that you're going to invest yourself and your time with that company. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. I love that. Um, obviously, you're not always going to get the, <laughs> the, the, the top money or even like you said, um, it was maybe a lower pay, but you knew by taking that position, it was going to lead uh, to more rewarding af aspects and avenues. So really, how were you able to understand that and like really have that mindset of like, because I, I know a lot of students uh, in college, they might not be able to formalize, um, you know, where they are headed or as so forth. You know, how did you make sure you knew that by doing this, it was going to make, you know, a better position in the near future. Yeah. I mean, the key to that is confidence. And, <laughs> and I, even I struggle with that. It's difficult. Um, so the, the tips that I would give around the confidence piece, and, and also I'm just a competitive <laughs> in my nature. So if I set, I set a goal for myself, I'm going to work my tail off to achieve it. Um, but for, for the confidence piece, um, people, really need to surround themselves with the voices that are going to help them to level up. Um, I mean, a great way is just tuning into this podcast with, with Adam. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're interviewing really great people in the industry who have a lot of really good advice. Like that's probably a lot better for you to listen to than a naysayer. So think about who, who you're letting into your world and how are they contributing? And that that factor will absolutely help with your confidence so that you can achieve the goals that you set for yourself. Yeah, I love that. Um, that that's huge. And you talk about your competitive nature. Um, 
Did you play sports while you were growing up? I did. Yeah, I played just about <laughs> everything under the sun. Um, soccer, volleyball, track, cross country, basketball. Um, I did it all. I had two, I have two brothers <laughs> still compete to this day. Um, I played soccer for a half a second in college. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's something it's, it's fun to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just like to go after it. I'm, I'm, big on goal setting. I encourage everyone to do that. Um, each year I, I put out a new goal sheet, um, on LinkedIn or on my website, even half year goal sheet. Like I believe so wholeheartedly that we have this one life and we should try to make the best of it. And I think the way that you have to do that is to be honest with yourself on what you want to achieve and when you want to do it. And your life will feel much more purposeful if, if you're going after something greater than what you have today. Yeah, I love that. And and you talk about, you know, that competitive nature and, you know, being able to achieve goals. And obviously we're in a very unprecedented time right now. Um, obviously when we approach January 21, uh, we wouldn't think, um, you know, September, we would be where we have right now. Um, so how do you pivot uh, quickly and adjust goals and make sure that you are still able to attain a certain ones so it doesn't feel like either defeat, uh, if you will, and making sure you're able to achieve goals even in, in tough times? Yeah, I mean, a pivot is always okay. You know, <laughs> priorities change. The world changes. I mean, gosh, if 2020 has showed us anything, <laughs> it's that you can only control yourself and your mindset. There's a lot unfortunately, that's out of our control. So pivoting on your goals is super important. And I think the way that you're able to do that very accurately is to constantly assess what it is that you're going after. You know, maybe you've set yourself a goal to achieve X amount in new business sales. Well, that's not really, a, that wasn't a reality, you know, over the last six months. So <laughs> how does that pivot? Do you change that goal into creating meaningful relationships with your partners? Do you change that goal into creating a greater or more effective or efficient communication structure with the people who partner with your team? Uh, do you focus on saving money? Do you focus on saving partnership value through other modes? There's, there's always a pivot available. You just, you got to be open to that. You got to be nimble. I mean, I wouldn't say to shortchange yourself. Don't, first of all, set a realistic goal. If you're not a runner, don't set yourself a goal that you're going to run a marathon in two weeks. It's just unattainable for the body. But what are the, what are the things that you can do? And then really outlining the steps on how it is that you can achieve what you set out to do. Yeah, for sure. You have to be uh, that competitive nature to set goals and obviously also have a realistic approach to it as well, because um, obviously um, a lot of times people try to set, like you said, if you're going to wear a marathon, but you've never run before, that's not real, realistic. Totally. <laughs> um, so talk about uh, being a, a working professional and working mom and what is the most rewarding part of that? And how do you make sure you balance both? Sure. So I'm, <laughs> I'll tell um, a good story, but I'll first skip to the most rewarding part. I mean, the most rewarding part is my two young boys seeing their mom achieve. 
seeing their mom happy going after her dreams and influencing and impacting others for the better. That is, that's really my ultimate goal. That's what, you know, gets me out of bed every morning. And um, I think I'm a better mom for them because I work. Um, So, you know, the proverbial work-life balance is one that's really, really difficult. I've really shifted to talking more about an integration rather than an on and off switch between the two or some type of scale that has equal weights of both because any given, gosh, I wouldn't even say year or month or week, I would say minute to minute, you know, things shift, your priorities shift. Um, you know, you could be in the middle of a huge project, but there's an emergency at the school. You got to go and pick up your child. Um, doesn't mean you're not going to pick up where you left off. Um, but it's, it is, it's a, it's an act. Um, it's a mindset. It's, it's something that I'm, I'm privileged to be able to attempt every single day. Um, I'm not perfect, but one of the, one of the things that I, I really hang my hat on is supporting women who work in sports. This is a really interesting field to pursue when you have lots of other obligations in your life, whether that be a marriage or a dog or a bunch of kids. I mean, any of those things that draw you away from your work or the building can present some challenges. Um, But I've really tried to focus um, our mindset at at my team um, and the people that I work with around intention and productivity. There's baseball is a historic game. And along with that comes a set of old behaviors. And I like to challenge those. Um, I, I do sometimes brag about the number of hours I was at the ballpark, but I mostly <laughs> do it in jest. I would rather talk about the hours that I didn't have to be at the ballpark and the deals I crushed or um, I, you know, we created this incredible experience for these fans. Um, and I only had to be there, you know, X amount of the time. So what are the hours that you're spending at work and how are you being productive? Because there's a certain time that the human body just taps out. <laughs> I've felt it, I've worked it, I've been there. Um, so how can you show up for your teams, both your teams at the workplace and your teams at home? Um, the most successfully. And that does require spending, making sure that you're spending time at home too. And so I try to be really intentional about that with myself and also my staff, whether they have families or not. Um, Even if they don't have a family, it doesn't mean that they don't have a hobby that's meaningful to them. And if they have the time to invest in that, they're going to come back to work for us more energized and engaged and ready to get, get to work. Yeah, for sure. I love that. That's so huge. Um, talking about being there for not only your team uh, during the day, but also at home. And I, I feel that sometimes, um, you know, there's a sacrifice for one or the other. Uh, so how do you maintain that motivation, not only to keep that drive, you know, at work and continue to drive for your career, but also stay motivated to provide and, um, you know, make sure everybody's taken care at home? Uh, simply put, it's what I want. I want (laughs) to be a great mom, a great wife and a great leader, not only at my team, but in the industry. 
And that, that need, that want for me personally is what, what drives me every day. And it's, it's bigger than myself. It's, it's how my boys see women in the workplace. Mm -hmm. It's how they're going to treat their future coworkers. Um, For, for my industry, it's, it's showing women that you can have a life and a job that you really enjoy and love doing. You can, you can have both. And there's this like negative stigma around the, um, the saying of you, you've got it all or, or she, she has it all, or how do I have it all? And I think that's <laughs> really, that's really self-defined. I think the way, the, where we get into trouble with having it all is when we, set it up against somebody else's expectations rather than our own and what we want to achieve. So, um, you know, I think you got to take a hard look at what does it mean to you to have it all, not what it means to society or, or the people you follow on Instagram. Yeah, for sure. You can only define your success and nobody else can do that for you. Right. hundred percent. <laughs> um, so what have been some challenges with that? Um, obviously, um, we all go through hurdles, uh, but what has been the, the most challenging part of that balance of uh, being a working mom and what has what helped you get over that hurdle? Man, Adam, I wish I was over the hurdle and I wish <laughs> I, had, I had all the answers, but it's just a consistent everyday effort. Mm-hmm. And that, that is the only way to move through. It's the only way to really move through life. I mean, nobody gets to just coast down easy street every day. Um, nobody, even the people who we think, gosh, they must have it so easy. They have their own personal, personal struggles. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I totally uh, feel that. So talk about mentors and whether, you know, they've been family members or professional um, who have been some, a, a few mentors throughout your career, uh, whether that's personally or professionally that have really helped you, um, you know, throughout your, your time and, and your career? Yeah. So I think there's two types of mentorship. The first is the traditional one-to-one mentor where, um, you know, you're identified person to person, you have coffee or meetings or email exchanges mm-hmm. or phone calls that help support you in your, in your career. And the second type is mentorship through admiration. Anybody can be your mentor. There is no mentor tree out there for person to person, but there (laughs) is mentorship available anywhere you look. And what I'm talking about is if you wanted Oprah to be your mentor, just start following her, following what she's doing on social media, following what she's writing, what she's posting, what she's saying, and extract from her dialogue, what could help you to level up. Um, I find a great, great places to do that is also in, in podcasts. Um, there's so many great, um, leaders out there that you can listen to and extract their knowledge, um, and apply it to your own life. It requires a little bit of work on your end because they're not going to personally give you the tailored answer to yourself, but they will give you the keys to success through all the information that they share publicly. So, For anybody who says they don't have a mentor, think about people you admire and start consuming the content that they give out in the world for free on the internet. 
Um, the one-to-one mentorship, yes, absolutely, that's important. It's also very difficult. Um, you have to have access, and you have you and that person has to have the time and the buy-in. So I'm lucky enough to be a mentor um, for two incredible women who work in minor mm-hmm. baseball for some other teams. Um, MILB helped set up these one-to-one relationships and. Uh, for both of those women, we care enough about each other to show up for each other. So um, that's that's the case where I'm a mentor. And then flipping it around, I, I do have mentors of my own. Um, three that I'll want to mention. One um, is male. His name's Eric Edelstein, and he's the president of the ACEs in 1868. And um, he has really helped me a lot in my, in my career development and, you know, offered me the role I've got today as general manager of the Oasis. Um, Next would be Janice Burke, who's really floating more into mentorship through admiration. She's the president and CEO of the Harris County Houston Sports Authority. Um, She is a global dynamo. She can literally and figuratively move mountains. I I got (laughs) Opportunity to work for her for a couple of years. And um, she is uh, just an incredible woman, um, also mom of four adult children now, and um, just commands the room whenever she walks in. Um, and then third is sort of a peer-to-peer mentorship because that can also exist. You need, you need friends in the industry who you can be honest with. And for me, that person um, is Jenna Burns. She's the vice president at the Oklahoma City Dodgers in minor league baseball. And, um, you know, she's she's a peer, but I would also call her a mentor of mine uh, because I absolutely learn from her every time we get the chance to have a conversation. That's awesome. I, I love that. And, and talk about the importance of not having those um, you know, female mentors, but also having a broad range of mentors, um, you know, and, and that are helpful throughout, um, you know, someone's career, not only yourself, but um, people who are looking for mentors, not only to have, um, you know, whether that's, you know, one, uh, a male or female, just, you know, having that diversity across, uh, ha- you know, looking for mentors and having that ability to do that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't want it to sound weird when I said Eric is a male, but you set up the second question perfectly because I think (laughs) it's important, you know, for women to grow in their careers anywhere in any industry, like men, we need your voices too. And so I think it's important that you have, um, different types of mentors, some diversity in the, in the people in which, um, what are in your your inner circle in order to bring some different perspectives? Yeah, yeah, I love that. And and talk about um, you know the the female aspect a little bit as well. Um, obviously, um, you hold the position of you know a, G, a GM in minor league baseball. Uh, we touched on it a little bit earlier, but talk about you know the gap in time and what. What do you think the future of female leadership, not only in minor league baseball, but sports looks like? Yeah. I mean, coincidentally, I have a podcast called (laughs) Female. Um, And in that podcast, I bring interviews with female leaders in sports each week so that other women can um, uncover opportunity 
and hear the tips to elevate their careers and learn from other women's mistakes and successes so that they can get to the top faster. Um, Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. And there are some mixed opinions on that quote. However, I have lived it. I didn't even understand the, the really the magnitude of taking, taking my role in, until I started to converse with other women in sports who told me point blank, I didn't even know that a woman could have that job until you did. Because before that time, they had only seen men occupy that role. And so I think it's important. It's important the role that I have, but moreover, there are innumerable number of tremendous female leaders in sports. And so really my podcast is about elevating those voices and showing other women and also men that you can, women can do it too. There's a lot of messages in there for both genders um, and, and how to navigate those successes. Um, you know, women are the ones who give birth to the babies. So that, <laughs> uh, that is a, a point in a career that, that many people have to navigate at some point in time, male or female. And, um, and then the jobs that we have in sports where you have to show up at strange hours and (laughs) long weeks, um, it can all be managed. And, um, I'm really all about trying to illustrate how to navigate that successfully, not just from my own stories, but from the stories of women who have um, crossed that bridge before me. Yeah, for sure. And I love that. And before uh, COVID, I I know, obviously, um, your schedule might look a little bit different. uh, But under normal circumstances, uh, what would your normal day to day or week to week look like? Sure. So um, in my role as GM, it's really, in my case, a Jill of all trades type (laughs) role. Um, I oversee the business of baseball. And what that means is, yes, the relationship with with our team, um, which is with our affiliate, the Arizona Diamondbacks, um, league relationships with minor league baseball. um, But within our business, I also oversee and uh, really create the framework for our community engagement of the team. Um, I oversee the marketing department and um, how we are mass marketed and specifically marketed to the public. Um, I also oversee our merchandising and um, brand and team store operations. I oversee the game day experience, ensuring that our fans create incredible memories um, at at each and every game that they attend. Mm. And I mean, the list the list goes on and on. Um, and mm-hmm. it's it's a privilege to have that set of responsibility. Um, and one of the things I love about my job is is no two days look the same, and the focuses sort of shift month to month based on the needs of the business. Um, But I try to be really intentional with my time and plot my meetings and my days and use my time in the way that's going to most benefit the business of baseball. And, um, and, and that's, that's how it's structured. 
Yeah, I love that. And I would imagine your calendar is filled up and had to be extremely organized uh, for sure. So talk about if you had to pick uh, one or two traits that makes, um, you know, a great GM or a successful GM, what would you, you know, attribute those traits to? Um, Well, it's hard to speak for the industry as a whole because each team has their own, their own needs, their Mm -hmm. own objectives, their own business objectives and what they want to achieve. So I, I can speak for, for my business and um, you know, I think this, this trait probably does apply to everybody or or maybe it should, Um, but it's a sense of curiosity um, I really, really dislike the saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think <laughs> that if we enter our days, our lives, um, our jobs with a sense of curiosity, asking why, wondering if it can be made better, that is only going to elevate a company. Um, so I would say curiosity, number one. And number two, um, just being a great person, uh, meaning being in service to to others and to your community, making decisions based on what is going to benefit the bulk of the people and showing up for people in that way. Um, There's a saying that that people will remember the way you made them feel. And I think that's really applicable to our business, given that we are in the business of experience, um, both for the fans who we're so lucky to entertain all year, all summer long. Um, but then also, you know, in my, in my role, also how the people feel who work for me, how, um, the players feel when they get the opportunity to play triple A ball at, at greater Nevada field. Uh, I think that, um, that is something that's applicable across the board. Yeah, for sure. And that's, that's huge. I love that. Um, and, and talk about, um, you know, this season, uh, not having, you know, not having games and planning for 2021. And what does that look like on a day-to-day? And what have, you know, the ACES done uh, virtually uh, for the people within the community, the fans? And what is the outlook for 2021, uh, you know, look like on the, on the calendar? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a challenging time um, in sports dealing with a global pandemic and not being able to assemble in groups of 10 or more. I mean, it's crazy. It's completely counter to everything we try to create in this business. Um, What we've been doing, I I use the word intentional a lot, and um, we did a lot of reacting initially, and then we tried to get more intentional with our time. And what that looked like for us was knocking the dust off some old projects, um, but also creating an interim rally cry. Um, we are the place to be. That's what we believe wholeheartedly. <laughs> um, and we changed that to, you know, we will be the place to be in the future. So what are the things that we can work on? What teams can we create internally to work on different projects that will make us better, more sustainable in the long term? And so we did that. We created um, these these battle plans and these task force that worked on different areas of the business to help prepare us for the long long run. And what it also did, um, as as an aside, was 
It really helped us to work in teams when we were all divided at our homes, not able to go to the office. We still could show up for each other on um, our team's video calls and really collaborate. So I think that was that was really beneficial. Um, for 2021, my hope is that uh, we all return to Greater Nevada Field for an incredible comeback season. Uh, of course, it's, you know, we are planning for that. Um, it is going to be a tremendous year. We just need to have the opportunity to open our gates and, and let all of our incredible fans back in. Yeah, for sure. And, and talk about the fan piece. Um, have you guys done anything to um, obviously, um, you know, include them, even though there aren't games to be played at, you know, in this current time? What what types of, you know, virtual meet uh, with the players and things like that? Have you guys done things like that with the with the fans at all? Yeah, we've set up a lot of really fun um, contests and quizzes and different engagements with our brand online. Um, we've stayed up to date on social media. <laughs> we covered our players with with the Diamondbacks so that, um, you know, we were lucky. We had 24 Reno Aces on the 60 man for the D-backs. Um, uh -huh. Really crazy season. And so we've tried to really share those voices or share those actions um, by by our guys that were former Reno Aces. So it's been a lot of fun um, to see our players succeed in the big leagues. So sharing that has been has been really important. Um, we've given away some cool stuff. Um, we just tried to stay engaged as much as we could without being able to have a physical presence. Yeah, and talk about the power of social. And how important is that, you know, in times like these? Because a lot of times within the sports industry, um, some organizations may not use it as often. But talk about the power of social, especially in times like these. Yeah, I mean, I believe so wholeheartedly in social. I mean, we carry around that connection literally in our pocket or purse everywhere that we go um, to stay connected. So during this time, it's important to stay connected to your fans to provide them content that they want to see. Um, run some tests, do A-B testing, um, see if they like this or they like that. Ask them questions, engage in polls, have contests, um, keep them up to date with your brand because there's some type of relaunch that's going to have to happen in the new year. Uh, when people have been unable to attend a physical event on our property for an extended period of time. And that's going to be way easier for us if we have stayed top of mind for our biggest supporters. Yeah, that, that's huge. I definitely agree with that. Um, so being, you know, for those college students who are looking to get in the sports industry, what advice would you give them, uh, whether they're looking to get into the sports industry or they're, um, you know, doing internships now? Uh, what advice would you give those individuals? Yeah, my first advice, a piece of advice is just start. Take what you can find and make the best of it. Um, I know there's lots of rules and regulations <laughs> for internships, um, but even what can you what can you do for free? How can you side hustle? And then once you start to do those things, once you start to gain that experience and even broaden your horizons to sports adjacent industries, there's agencies you can mm -hmm. work for. Um, there's 
hospitality that you can work for and do that event planning role, you know, create experiences for people you could work in radio or work in TV and different mediums. Um, think about expanding your horizons just a little bit, and then, you know, you'll be able to sell, sell yourself into that future role. But second, you gotta be your own biggest cheerleader. No one else is going to be a greater support of your career than you. So the ways that you can do that is through what I just talked about through social media. Um, LinkedIn is obviously a great platform um, to, to create content. And what I would say is, yes, I just said, be your biggest cheerleader, but be your biggest cheerleader in a way that you are serving the community. Talk about lessons that you learned. Um, talk about successes that you've had, but not just like, look at me, I landed this huge deal. Well, it's like, how did you land that huge deal? Or look at me, I got this internship. I'm so excited. Well, what were the steps in order for you to earn that internship? I guarantee you're going to get greater engagement on those posts when you are trying to serve the community rather than just shout at it. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. Obviously um, you mentioned it there a lot of times uh, people would uh, celebrate the wins, but doing it strategically and showing the the steps to get to that success um, is is so instrumental too. Hundred <laughs> percent. So talk about you know the you know some of the day to day or strategies that you guys are looking for or something that you're really excited about for uh, the upcoming 2021 season. Man, Adam, that is such an easy question because I'm <laughs> looking forward to seeing fans in our ballpark and providing them with an incredible experience. In Reno, we play ace ball. That's, that's what <laughs> ace ball is. It is uh, really talented baseball players on the precipice of the biggest break of their life. And then it's also everything else that we get to do, our beautiful Northern Nevada sunsets are, um, are really humongous fireworks shows, uh, great food. It's, it's our own signature beer and ace ball ale. Um, it's, it's all the fun that we get the opportunity to have. And uh, boy, I just want to hear that music play and see that <laughs> light up and open those gates and say, hello, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. And and talk about, you know, minor league baseball and um obviously the differences or similarities uh to the major league side. Um yeah, I mean, minor league baseball is is all about the community, which I think um that is not dissimilar from major league baseball. Mm -hmm. We're all there to support our hometown team. And the beauty of minor league baseball is it allows professional baseball to extend to communities around the country that are not MLB markets. Um, mm -hmm. so with our population of, um, you know, about 550, <laughs> like we wouldn't support a major league baseball team. However, we get the opportunity to have a beautiful ballpark, um, really good competition, and a heck of a lot of fun uh, with 70 baseball games at home each year. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I, I love that. Um, obviously, with with the ambiance of the game experience and so forth, 
what are, are there some rewarding aspects of working on the minor league side of baseball? I love this question. And true <laughs> to me being a working mom and life, I am going to answer this one and then um, leave your awesome listeners to go pick up my kids from school. So <laughs> the, um, the most rewarding part about working in minor league baseball is the capacity to see your ideas come to fruition. I have worked, as I explained, in a lot of different places. I even left off some of them um, in my explanation earlier. I've worked at big companies and small companies, NBA and now MILB. And um, one of the things I love most about minor league baseball is the way that, um, that you're able to see your ideas through to fruition. When you work for a larger company, um, there's a lot, I don't want to say it's red tape. I would say it's layers. Um, There's a lot more layers to see something come to light. And minor league baseball, I feel like we're just more nimble. We have um, smaller front offices. Um, You get the opportunity to work across some different departments. If you have an interest or curiosity, chances are you'll get a chance to help out in that area. Um, and you can pitch an idea to your boss and then see it happen on the field the next month. It's, it's a pretty incredible thing. And I think it really offers tremendous opportunity really at any age. Um, but specifically, uh, for people who are, are just out of college, um, I can't, I mean, obviously I'm biased. I work in a <laughs> minor league baseball, but I can't tell you the number of people that I've spoken to or interviewed, Um, that are working for one of the big four leagues who got their start in minor league baseball. And it proved that they were a hard worker. Um, They got exposure to all areas of the baseball business. And um, I I think that um, the exposure you get to the sports business is unparalleled in MILB. Well, Emily, I really appreciate you taking the time today. It was a a great conversation and you're doing tremendous, tremendous things in the sports world, not only in the sports world, uh, but with your podcast as well. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Adam, I so appreciate you asking super smart questions. (laughs) And um, I also encourage all of your listeners um, reach out to me on LinkedIn um, at Emily Jansen. It's J-A-E-N-S-O-N. Um, that's also me on Instagram at Emily Jansen and then my website, emilyjansen.com and uh, check out my podcast leadership is female. Perfect. Yeah, we definitely will. I love, I have listened to some of the podcasts. It's, it's amazing stuff. I love what you're doing, um, you know, for female leadership. Um, it's, it's really amazing. And uh, I just love what you're doing, not only in the sports industry, but uh, female leadership as well. Well, thank you, Adam. I so appreciate it. Yeah, Emily, it was a pleasure and uh, take care. All right. You too. Thank you.